prayer request before we get started. Melanie, definitely, let's remember her uh, in the hospital with some health issues, so let's remember her. Anyone else? Saw some interesting articles right before we got here this evening and right after we got here, and I think it's uh, appropriate that these things are happening at this time in, in the history. It's exciting, but it's also scary. Syria and Turkey are posturing and possibly going to war. The Syrian delegates walked out of the talks with the United States earlier today. And they went back to preparations for war with Turkey. So we'll see how that goes. And the reason why I say that's appropriate is that's exactly where we're going to be studying geographically tonight is in what we now know as Turkey. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you'll continue to bless, that you'll continue to move, Lord, and that you'll stretch forth your hand, that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message. Lord, that you'll anoint our ears for us to hear and our hearts to receive, Lord. Lord, that you'll touch and move on Melanie and those with sicknesses in their life, Lord, that you'll heal their bodies, God. Lord, you said by your stripes we are healed and we stand upon that scripture, we stand upon that that blessing and that promise, God. We ask, Lord, that you'll move on Lynn Delancey, that you'll give her, Lord, strength and, and peace, Lord, in this upcoming storm. We ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. We are in chapter 2, verse 1. It is my desire to do one church a week. So we will, some classes may be a little shorter than others. Some classes will be about the same length. I don't see any of them being much more than an hour. But as I said when we went live, uh, Turkey and Syria are looking like they are going to go to war. What does that matter? Well, Matthew 24 tells us that there will be wars and rumors of wars. So it's just a continuation of what we've already seen. It is nothing to be afraid about, especially if you're a Christian, because we should know, as I was telling a lady the other day in line at uh, Walmart, she was complaining about the food prices and the gas prices. I said, well, we should know this is coming. Or at least the book that I read tells me it was coming. And she said, what book's that? I said, the Bible. She looked at me like I had three heads and four eyes, but that's okay. The Bible does tell us that these things will take place. Now, I will say, yeah, the, the, it doesn't say gasoline prices will go through the roof. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say the word gasoline. But it does say that it will take a man's wages, a whole day's wages, to feed just that individual, not the family. So how's that happen? We either lose our jobs and we don't make a lot of money, or... Prices go up, or both. So we're there. But chapter 2 starts with the letters that John was to write to the seven churches. The seven churches are located in what we now know as Turkey. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's where the seven churches was located. We will start with the church of Ephesus tonight. And there is a reason why he started with Ephesus. There's a logical explanation Ephesus was the first church that you came to on the major trade route. It was a seaport, and we'll get into this discussion a little bit. It was a seaport. It was very wealthy. And then you go north, kind of northward, 
and you'll see the next church. And you go northward again, and you'll see the third church. And then you kind of make a, a hard turn, and you go southeast, and you start seeing the other churches. So it makes a big loop. So basically, he starts off at Ephesus, and he ends really close to Ephesus. But it was following the trade route. Why is that important? Well, the trade route was built for trade. Just like the Roman government came through and built all of the Roman roads for their military. That's what their roads was basically for, was for their military. What they didn't realize was that Christians was going to use it to help spread the gospel. So the trade route was for trade, but the Christians used it to help spread the gospel. So he starts with Ephesus and he moves all the way around in the loop. Verse 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. We see that reference from chapter 1. The first of the letters to the churches was written to the church of Ephesus. Both Paul and John had their ministry there. Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus, and he wanted to preach to the masses at the large theater there. It is estimated that that theater could hold approximately 25,000 people. Pretty large even for that time. Pretty large for our time, really, unless you look at some of our ball stadiums and some of our bigger buildings, but 25,000 people is a pretty large amount of people, and they didn't have electricity, and they didn't have amplifiers. So these theaters was built to carry sound. As a matter of fact, uh, some of the amphitheaters that the Romans built, you could whisper on the stage, and they could hear it all the way through the crowd. It was that good of acoustics. If only we could build churches that way now. First one of... Paul writing in Acts 19, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is, on Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. So we see in the city of Ephesus, we see the first... Some of the first things that's happening in the city of Ephesus is the baptismal of the Holy Ghost. The city started off on the right foot. And the church was started on the right foot. But we're going to find out that it might not have ended so well. Skipping ahead in Acts 19 to verse 24 is where we find Paul's friends forbidding him to go to the theater. Now, between chapter uh, verses 7 and 24, Paul's been preaching and teaching, and he's making a lot of people upset. Because there's a lot of people that's, that feels like they're losing their livelihood because of Paul's preaching. Because he's preaching against idolatry. 
And there's a lot of people there. We're going to find one named Demetrius here. He was a silversmith. He made silver idols. And people wasn't purchasing silver idols as much as they used to. So Demetrius, it was hitting him in the billfold. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods, which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of Ephesus. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Archericus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. It would be an ugly. They were ready to kill Paul. Now, I find it, for the lack of a better term, ironic, that this is happening to Paul. Because not too long before this, was he was known as Saul, and he was the one that was rushing to the theater to kill and to persecute Christians. Now, he's the one that they want to persecute. He's the one they want to kill. See what a difference God can make? And we see that this was all about idolatry. Now, I'm going to also state here that each one of these churches that we're going to study in the next seven weeks, maybe we'll double up on a couple, who knows, but the next several weeks, was a, and is a church age. This was the first of the church age. Ephesus was what would they would consider the first of the church age, and it went a couple of hundred years after Christ. But I'm not going to dwell on the church ages, because if you really study the seven churches, you're going to find modern-day churches that follow in their footsteps. We all know churches, or we know of churches, that are like these seven churches, every one of them. While I was studying and writing this study guide, visions, literally visions of churches would pop into my head. I'm like, wow, yeah, that's, that's a pure, pure indication of what Ephesus, the church of Ephesus started out like, but went wrong. I don't throw rocks at other denominations, and I don't throw rocks at much of uh, many other people, but you will hear me badmouth Jim Jones quite a bit. Jim Jones was in my time period. He was in the 70s, 60s and 70s. He started out in Indiana. He started out pretty decent. Somewhere along the way, Jim got lost. He got lost because people started giving him the accolades instead of Christ. He got lost because he started getting... Richer and richer and richer. And before long, he started to begin to believe that he, he was the one that was doing all of this. 
we all know of, and maybe we even know some, I know some personally, that it started down the right path, but somewhere along the line they, they went off on a tangent. Not too many years ago in my lifetime, and I won't name names, but as soon as I tell you this, you're going to know exactly who it was. There was an individual that was really well-known televangelist. And he had the audacity to stand in front of the cameras and say that God had said he had to get $3 million or God was going to kill him. Well, we all know who that was. I'm not going to throw rocks at him. I personally grew up watching him. I thought, you know, I was going to go to his college. I was like, whoa, yeah, that's me. But I wasn't a Christian when I heard that, and even I knew that was wrong. God doesn't need our money. If he's got you, which he wants, he desires, he's got you, billfold. We all get hung up on paying tithes. Paying tithes is more than money. It's time, it's, it's talent, it's prayers, it's works, it's faith, it's, it's everything. But if he's got you, he's got your ties. So we all know, and I'm, as I say, I'm not going to get hung up on which church age this was. Because modern day churches span the seven church ages. Yes, we are clearly in the last church age where we're lackadaisical, we're lukewarm. Yes, we are truly there. But how many big churches do you know that started off on the right path, somewhere down the line got lost? And of course, the book of Ephesians was written to the church of Ephesus. By stating it the way John was told to write the above statement, it would be clear to the church that this was Jesus' words to the church not the words of John. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Remember the stars are the angels of the churches. And we talked about guardian angels, I believe it was just last week or the week before. Clearly this is Jesus speaking to the church of Ephesus and not John speaking. Here the angel of the church is the pastor. Or the leader of the church. It's a twofold meaning. And the letter is written to, written to the pastors of the seven churches. Who it was at this time, I don't know. Don't have a clue who the pastors were, but we do know that there was a leader. There was a shepherd of some description. In Matthew, we know that he's writing this to the leader of the church or the pastor, as we call him now. In Matthew, he teaches us that a man can be a messenger just as angels are messengers. Matthew 11 and 10 says, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. John the Baptist was a messenger. He was clearly a forerunner to Christ. Mark in 1 and 2 is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Luke 7 and 24. And when the messengers of John, now it's clearly stated here, the messengers of John, being John the Baptist, were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. Now that's Jesus speaking about John. What went ye out unto the wilderness for to see, and a reed shaken with the wind? Messengers of John. Followers of John. Disciples of John. 
Luke 7 and 27, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Luke 9 and 52, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So we see that messengers can be people, can be men and women, just as easily as it can be angels. So he's writing this letter to this church of Ephesus. It's addressed to the pastor or to the bishop. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, or antichrist, if you will. Because they were trying to take the place of the gospel. So we see that there was some good things happening in Ephesus and had always been. Works, labor, patience. They can't bear evil. Tried the apostles that were coming up with bad messages. Christ is telling the church of Ephesus of the things that he recognizes the church is doing correctly. These are the good works and not evil. Works, labor, patience, testing the leaders to determine if they are of God or not. These are good works. From this church, all of Asia Minor had heard about God and his goodness. It was this church spread out. The gospel disseminated from this church. It was one of the most influential of the seven churches. Acts 19 and 10 shows us of the dedication of Paul, but as of the church as well. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. He is in Ephesus at this time. They are doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing what we are supposed to do. The Great Commission is to go and to teach and to preach to all creatures, to every nation. And the people of Ephesus, they're doing that. They are doing that. It has been suggested that from this church, the other churches were formed. Even if that is not the case, this church certainly has had great influences on the other churches. There's always been false prophets and those claimants who have heard from God. We have those today. In Florida, right now, there's an individual that truly believes he is God in the form of Jesus. And he is Satan in the same person. He believes he's Jesus and Satan. That's one messed up dude. I'm just, I'm just going to put it to you that way. In Florida. In Texas, just a few years ago, we see an individual that believed that he was God. He was Jesus. Jim Jones held up his Bible and said, The trouble with you guys is that you're trying to follow this, pointing to his Bible, and not listening to me. An individual, I forget, I think he was also in Texas, believed at the comet that there was a UFO in the tail and you had to kill yourself to get to the UFO to get out of here. Oh, my gosh. And people were doing it. Thousands died, Jim Jones. 
I think it was right at 1,000 to 2,000 people died in Guyana in the 70s. Wow. I say that now, but he tells us in another scripture that even the elect can be deceived. So we have to be on our guard. Ephesus was known to discern the true followers and teachers than those that were in the name only. It is a pity that the discernment does not seem to be working in churches of our day. We hear prosperity preachers. We hear preachers telling stuff that shouldn't be told at the podium. Where's the discernment? Why has that church got people in it? Because one, you heap on teachers because you have itching ears. You want to just be patted on the back. Oh, you can live the way you want to. Everything's fine. Well, it's not. Modern church, just as churches in John's day, heaped upon themselves teachers having itching ears. Second Timothy 4 and 3. The church had even dug deep and proven that the false teachers had not misspoke, as we like to call it today, but proved them to be liars. They didn't just say, well, you're mistaken. They just literally said, you're lying. Get out of our sight. Revelation 21 and 8 states very clearly, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Can you get saved from this? Yes, you can. But you've got to go by the way of the cross. You can't do it your own. And you can't do it by the way the man at the podium's telling you to do it unless he's telling you that it is by Christ and Christ alone. So we see that the church of Ephesus had some great things going on. Wow, this is exciting. If you've never read this, you don't know what's about to come up. Okay, if you've never studied the book of a Revelation, you don't know, you, you think, wow, this is cool. Ephesus has got it going on there right where they're supposed to be. And has borne and has patience, and for my namesake has labored and has not fainted. Verse 3, God continues to tell Ephesus that they, even though they had continued in dedication and labored and endured a lot, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was right in their doorstep. Now, I don't know in which direction, but you could probably see the seven wonders from the church porch if you knew which direction to look. The temple of Artemis, or Diana, doubled the size of Greek temples and eventually became the fourth, four times bigger than the Parthenon itself, was built approximately in the 6th century B.C., was well-known temple. Followers were quite protective of their goddess. Artemis was the Greek name. Her Roman name was Diana. She was the goddess of the hunt, the wilderness, wild animals, nature, vegetation, childbirth, young children and animals, of course, the moon and chastity. A lot on her tender shoulders. Because there was such a presence of her followers there in Ephesus, the Christian church often was at odds with that temple, so they had endured much. They had labored hard. Paul's preaching had taken away some of their followers because now they've heard the truth. Ephesus has got it going on. Or did they? Verse 4. 
Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Oops. Because they, you have lo- you have left your first love. This was about the second, maybe even third generation goers to the church. This is not the first generation. John is not writing to the old first generation. It's about the second, possibly even the third generation of worshipers at the church of Ephesus. He's telling them they've lost their first love. What is our first love? God has commanded us to love God first and foremost. No, nothing, nothing comes before God. So when John writes the words that Jesus tells him to, Jesus is saying, Ephesus, you've lost your love for me. How many churches do we know today has not the love of God in it? Read an article just recently about this little girl. This was turn of the century, 1900s. She wanted to go to church. She wanted to go to Sunday school. All things. A little girl wanted to go to Sunday school. How dare her? But her clothes was dirty and shabby. And whoever, I can tell you what would happen if that happened at this church, but somebody in the church told her that the classes were full and there was no room for her. So she sat down on the sidewalk and she was crying. This individual walked up and said, little girl, why are you crying? Well, I wanted to go to Sunday school and they say the rooms are full. (laughs) Come with me. Little girl takes him by the hand. He walks down the center of the aisle. He goes into one of the classrooms. He said, make a way. He sat her down. It was the pastor of the church. Little girl started coming to church. Her and the pastor got to be real good friends. She's six, seven years old. A year or two later, she was killed or she died. They found this little purse. It was all beat up and worn out. And in that little purse was 57 cents. And a note that said she wanted to help build bigger Sunday schools so kids would not get turned away. The pastor read this to her funeral. Now that church has got a hospital, a university, and one of the most modern and huge buildings for Sunday school that there has ever been, all because of 57 cents and a little girl, the love of God. But 1900s. Where are the Christians today? Where are the churchgoers of today? And I'm not, I'm not going to browbeat anybody. I'm not going to guilt trip anybody. But the pandemic, churches was on the rise. A lot of churches was growing and strengthening and going strong. And then the pandemic hit. And we're not back to the numbers that we were. Why not? Oh, we've got this modern technology. We can watch it from anywhere. And that's good. That's well. That's perfect. But he did tell us not to forsake the assembly. And that's coming together with like-minded believers. If you're physically able. If you're not sick. If you're sick, stay at home. Be, Be selfish. We want you to keep that to yourself. We don't want you to share that love. But where are the people? And look at what's happening all over the world. 
Where's the love of God? It's waxing, waning, and it's going away. Because we're getting self-centered and we're getting narcissistic and we're looking at ourselves in the mirror going, you got this. <laughs> the only thing I got is hell. Because that's what I deserve. But God said, by the cross, you, you're going to get in by what i done. I digress. I apologize. It was approximately 40 years old already. When God asked John, the church was 40 years old, approximately, 30, 35. So those in the church were second-generation believers. When Paul wrote of the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 1 and 15 and verse 16, it says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So, their faith, their old works, their love was there. He specifically called out their love for the saints or early church leaders. This love, the agape love, charity as we sometimes call it, was well known from the church of Ephesus, but apparently at the writing of Revelation, the church had quit or was beginning to stop or slow down helping those and was becoming self-centered in their walk with the Lord. God was not happy with this turn. In today's vernacular, we would say the church had started to backslide. It had all became about them. Let's build bigger. Oh, let's build bigger. There's nothing wrong with building. If you, one, can afford it, and two, you can stop it and put the people in the seats. We know an individual, he's no longer with us, a great man of God. But he wanted to build a church not far from here that would seat 2,000 people in the shape of a huge crown. And each point on the crown was a door into the sanctuary. Well, me loving Sunday school and teaching, I was like, where's your Sunday school classes going Where's your instructions? Where's your education department? Where is that that the people need to have? Yes, preaching is great. Preaching is wonderful. And, and preaching is really what we need. But we also need that study. We need that edification coming together and learning. Oh, well, I'm building. I'm having it built so that the inner walls can be moved. We can't seat 2,000 yet. But when we do, we'll be able to, okay, when you seat 2,000 and you have no Sunday school rooms, then what? He never got his church built. Oh, by the way, it was a purple color. He was going to use purple granite to build it. It was going to cost a fortune, millions, millions of dollars to seat 2,000 people. And where this church was going to be built at, there's uh, five large churches within a rock's throw of it. Two, three churches you can see from this church. But yet he was going to build. Why? Well, we're having to turn them at the door. Have a second service. Have a fallout room. You know, overflow room. So that you can go in there and you can watch it. Because this wasn't too many years ago. Closed circuit TVs was happening. 
Some will say that each of the seven churches represents or symbolizes a particular church age, and we are living in the seventh church age, and that is true. It is also true that each of the seven churches we will study is represented today in our modern churches. There are so many churches in operation today that has forgotten that they once needed help and that someone extended their hand to them. But now since they have arrived, there is no need to help others. But that is far from the truth. We cannot say we have arrived until we are on the heaven side of the pearly gates. Also, the church of Ephesus had slacked up on the dedication and devotion to God and the works and worship had replaced devotion and dedication. If we are solely working to get God's favor and not commit it completely on him, we are slipping away. Remember in James, and my wife had to correct me on this one, James 2, verse 13 says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith with my works, or by my works. We shouldn't work to get God's attention. We shouldn't feel like we have to work. Now hear what I'm saying. We shouldn't feel like we have to work. It's not an obligation. Yes, I could be doing something else than standing here teaching out of Revelation. And you guys could be doing something else than listening to me. But why are we here? Why are we doing the Revelation class on Thursday at 7 p.m.? What idiot started this thing? I said that around my granddaughter this morning, earlier today and she said, Poppy. You're the one that wanted to do it Thursday. Oh, you're calling me an idiot. No, Poppy, you called yourself an idiot. we got to get closer to God. And in this day and age, we need to get as close as possible to God. So we get closer by studying his word. We get closer by reading and coming together and asking questions and working out the answers. I don't have the answers. I told you the very first night. If you've got a question, come with the answer as well, because I don't have the answers. But if you have a question, hit me up. We'll pray about it. We'll research it. We'll figure it out. But it will be from God's word. It won't be from man's word. Well, I might go to Webster's if you ask a really odd question and I don't understand some of the words. I will go to Webster's and look up the definition of the words. But we, we've got to have these works, but we don't. We shouldn't feel obligated. We shouldn't want to do these things. I'm the one that went to the pastor and went, hey, let me teach a class on Revelation. I just don't know what day. Well, I'll figure it out. How about Thursday? Okay, Thursday, 7 p.m. All right. So I'm the one that went to the pastor. The pastor didn't come to me and go, hey, I want you to do a class on Revelation. 
No, I went to him and said, I really want to do a class on Revelation. This is really the second time I've taught Revelation. I feel I find that it is enjoyable to teach it. And I know that sounds weird. But don't you want to know what battle you need to fight? Isn't it better to know when you go to the mechanic what's wrong kind of what's wrong with your car? Instead of just going to the mechanic going, it makes a weird noise. My mechanic laughs at me every time I do that. So we're getting together and we're studying and we're we're praying about this and we're working on this and we're getting closer to God, or at least I am. Hopefully you all are. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes to the earlier church of Ephesus, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are not good enough to get to heaven by yourself. Can't happen. Our righteousness is but filthy rags. So we cannot get to heaven. We have to go through Christ. It's the only way. So the early church of Ephesus understood that. But something had happened. As I said, this is second, third generation worshipers or members of the congregation. Some of that congregation was there because mommy and daddy used to go there. Grandma and grandpa sit in this pew. My great uncle bought this chair. It's my chair. We do it out of tradition. We have got to come to church. Not because it's Sunday, not because it's Wednesday, not because it's Thursday or Tuesday we have prayer meeting here. We've got to come to church because we want to come to church. Not because it's, well, it's, oh my gosh, it's time to go back to church. Let's go. We've got to want to come. Well, I can have church anywhere. Yeah, you can. You said don't forsake the assembly. I can, I can be with my friends. You're just gathering. You're not assembling. There's a huge difference between a gathering and an assembly. Gathering is when you get the pieces together. You're bringing it all together. Nothing's happening. Assembly is when you're putting it all together. Go to Ikea. Buy a bed. Buy a dresser. Buy something. And you're going to come home in a box. And you're going to dump all the pieces well, it's a bed, it's a dresser, it's a table. No, it's a pile of wood that's gathered together, and you've got to assemble it to make it worthwhile. And you need to follow the instructions. And my wife is probably laughing on the inside about that, because, well, she has to read me the instructions and then slap me with a ruler when I get it wrong. We have got the instruction book in front of us called the Holy Bible. We gather... At ball games, we gather at work, we gather at the house, we gather around the table, we gather in the yard for cookouts, we gather, we gather, we gather. We assemble when we try to come together and do something. And by coming to church, we are assembling to come closer to God. So that's why he tells us not to forsake the assembly. Verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. 
You've got to get back to your first love or I'm going to destroy your testimony. That's what it's saying. Putting it in Robert terms. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. We all have a past. It's a good past and it's a bad past. We are saved by God through Jesus from our bad past. We should not try to forget the good past. I had a wonderful childhood. I was raised on 7,000 acres of forest. I had an amazing childhood. I don't want to forget that, but yeah, I was a little rebel rouser. I would get people in trouble. One of my friends in school told me, he said, you're probably the smartest person in school because you never get in trouble. You're smart enough to stay out of trouble while the rest of us goes down this path that you've led us on. I would get them started doing something. I'd sit down. The teacher would walk in. I look, make sure that none of my teachers, old teachers are watching here. I would be sitting there with my book open. Sometimes it was open and it was upside down, but it was still open. I would be pretending to study. All oh, the teachers would hit the ceiling. How dare you people? You ought to be more like Robert. Robert's the one that started the mess. But Robert didn't get in trouble. I was the angel. We don't need to remember all of that. We're saved from all of that. It's good to remember where we come from. I was a gambler, compulsive gambler. I bet you five to ten odds, I'll give you five to ten odds, that I have not gambled in a long time. I quit gambling. But that's what I was saved from. That was my addiction. It wasn't drugs. It wasn't alcohol. It wasn't smoking. It wasn't any of that. I liked to gamble. I enjoyed it. But God saved me from that. But I still get to remember the good times. Not at the gambling, not at the poker table, not at the car races where, by the way, I usually lost. But the good times, the family gathering, the, the family reunions, the things that we used to do on the 4th of July. Those things are good. We need to remember that. We need to hang on to those memories. But if we have backslid... If we are just doing this out of tradition, if we're just doing this because, well, we've got to go to Thursday night revelation class, Robert will be upset if we don't. I don't care. Come if you want to. Don't come. I told Lynn, she don't have to come. It won't hurt my feelings. We've got to go back to God. We see throughout the scriptures of the New Testament, Christ telling us that the love for God should go first. It should be first before family, friends, and even spouses. If we put God first, if we get this relationship right, these relationships works out. And if they don't work out, we don't need those relationships in our lives. There are some people that we just don't need to be around. And God will let us know that. If we do this, if we just do the lip service, if we do it without love, we are a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels from 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. If I don't show the love, it's mechanical. 
I was told one time that I could learn how to play an instrument. Yeah, I could learn how to play an instrument. That's exactly what it sounded like. Ding, 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 ding. It'd be mechanical. There'd be no passion to it. Now, you get, a, you get an individual like our praise and worship team, like Terrence on the, on the keyboard, that's passionate about it. Oh, he can make music. I can make noise. That's all I would make. Matthew 22 and 37 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. He left nothing out. He, you've got to love him wholly. Mark 12 and 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Luke 10 and 27. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. We can't get along with our neighbors. We don't even know our neighbors any longer. It was easy where I grew up. There were none. Two miles away. That doesn't count as neighbor, I don't think. But they were next door, two miles through the woods. But do we really truly know our neighbors? I don't even think I know some of my neighbors' names. There's a couple of elderly ladies that live up the road that will call me. I can't start my lawnmower. I'll be right there. I can't start my weed eater. I'll be right there. Because they stopped me one day. I was walking on the road, and they said, uh, can you do us a favor? Sure. What is it? Can you give us your telephone number so if we need help? Sure. I'm always available. I know them because we've had a communication. There's a lot of them on that street. I don't have a clue. There's a young man on our street that's a drug addict. He really is. I'm not throwing rocks at him. He's been to jail multiple times for drug addiction. I know him because I watched him grow up. And to this day, when I'm walking or whatever, and he's high as a kite, he will stop and go, Hi, Mr. Self, how you doing? I'm doing great, son. How you? Well, I've had better. You need to get off that crap. We need to pray right now. We don't even know our neighbors, so how can we love our neighbors? And sometimes we might know them, and that's the reason why we don't love them. But you got to love them in spite of what you know. John 14 and 15, And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. John 14 and 21, I'm repeating myself, I know. But there is a point in repeating myself. He that hath commandments and keepeth them, he that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Why am I repeating myself? It's important to understand, and it's really bizarre. Well, it's not. It's not. It's not even a coincidence. The messenger last night spoke on love here at the church. We studied 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here we are talking about losing and leaving our first love. Not a coincidence. God knew all of this. He had it all worked out. John 21, verse 15, 16. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. 
He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he asks a third time, and he tells him to feed his sheep. There's a reason why I use the word lamb and sheep twice. Okay, there is a, God doesn't do anything without purpose, without direction, without guidance, without instructions for us. When Simon Peter denied Christ the three times, first he denied him to a young girl. The Bible calls her a maiden. Young, probably, some people even say 12, 13 years of age. Don't know if that, but a young girl that wasn't married. Second time he, he denied Christ, it was to an older female. Third time he denied Christ, it was to a group round the fire. They were warming themselves. He even cussed a couple of times. Saith unto him, feed my lamb. Feed the young. Feed the littles. Feed the, the children in the flock. Not just the physical age, but the young in Christ. Feed my sheep the second time. Feed those individuals that are your age. Feed those individuals that are out there. Feed those individuals that you come into contact with. And a beautiful thing about sheep is sheep can be plural or sheep can be plural or singular. So he's talking singular there, but the next time he says feed my sheep, he's talking plural. Feed the masses. Feed the young. Feed the people your age. Feed everybody. It's the reason why I use lamb, sheep, and sheep. Just thought I'd throw that out. That's a freebie. James 2 and 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? We may not have much in this old world, material goods. We're not Elon Musk. We're not Jeff Bezos. We're not uh, Bill Gates. But we've got something better. If they don't have Christ, we've got something better than they do. And that's the love of God. We are rulers and heirs, and we find that out later in Revelation. First Peter 1 and 8, Whom having not seen ye love, and whom thou now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. He even says, well, you, you believe because you see, but bless those that haven't seen. That's us. That's us. We haven't seen Christ personally, physically. The warning to the church of Ephesus is not only to change their attitude toward Christ and others, but to put back in order their affections. If the church of Ephesus did not repent, Christ warns that their witness would soon be forgotten. That's the removal of the candlestick. This was a clear indication that the church was proudfully saying, look at what we have done and what we are doing. Verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Back to something good. Okay, I've chastised you. Now I'm going to pat you on the back again. Who exactly are the Nicolaitans? If anybody knows, please tell me. Because no one in really truly knows who he's talking about here. Some will say that it was uh, followers of Nicholas, which we see him being one of the 
deacons that was appointed, uh, servers to the tables with Stephen, the first martyr. In Acts 6 and 5, in the same pleased the whole multitude, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. A proselyte is someone who converts to Christianity or Judaism. We use this term now to represent someone who has been asked to change churches, religions, or beliefs. However, there are no indications that this Nicholas changed his beliefs and went a different way after being coming a deacon. We have no indication in the scriptures, and tradition doesn't even point this out. Josephus and some of the other historians don't even point out that Nicholas went off on a tangent. So we don't really know who the Nicolaitans were. This may not be who Christ is referring to, Nicholas, the deacon, but apparently the Nicolaitans were followers of a false teacher and were going in the wrong direction. And God said, I hate them. I hate them. He hated the fact that they were going in the wrong direction. He didn't hate the people. He hated the sin. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hate the sin. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. He hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He that hath an ear, verse 7, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This is why I believe that all these letters was written. Each letter was written to a particular church, but all seven letters was read to all seven churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. If you will overcome, I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you eternal life. Christ tells us that the church is here, that if they overcome, they will have the right to eat of the tree of life that is amid God's paradise. The tree of life's leaves, we will learn later in our study, is to be used for healings. This is the same tree of life that grew in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3 and 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. But let's do a brief in, in the few moments that we've got left, let's turn to appendix, very back of your book, if you've got a book. Let's turn to appendix A and let's look at what happened to the church of Ephesus. In each one of the seven churches, there will be a, a discussion about the, the church and its outcome. Ephesus was an ancient port city near the western shores of Turkey. It is where the Aegean Sea meets the estuary of the river Chiastros. This is about 8 kilometers and almost 50 miles south of Izmir, Turkey. Current day Izmir, Turkey. It was the capital of proconsular Asia and was considered the most important city on the Mediterranean. That's the city of Ephesus. The city was the home of one of the seven wonders of the world for the ancient world. The temple of Diana Artemis became approximately four times the size of any other Greek temples, including the Parthenon. It would get destroyed, it would get rebuilt, it would get destroyed, get rebuilt. The city was also home to a large follower of the worship of this goddess. It is because of this large temple and follower presence that God tells the church of Ephesus that they had endured a lot. There was persecution and strife between the different philosophies. For approximately 35 to 40 years, the church of Ephesus had withstood the onslaught of heretical teachings. 
However, during this time, the worship and the coming together of the church had become a ritual and a routine. They came together because that's what they had always done. It's Sunday, let's go to church. Let's stand, let's sing, let's sit down, let's clap our hands, let's give in our offering, let's go home and eat. In a lot of people's minds, that's Sunday morning. Today. They came together because that's what they had always done. Their love of God had waned and was replaced by rituals. The temple of Artemis was eventually torn down, and the remains of this temple was used to build Christian churches. Wow, we won. Christianity won the long-contested battle for the hearts of the Ephesians. Not quite. As the 4th century dawned, Ephesus was in significant decline. Constantine selected Constantinople, now Istanbul, as the capital of the Roman Eastern Empire, and this left Ephesus to basically fend for itself. In the 6th and 7th centuries, a devastating earthquake or series of earthquakes destroyed much of the city. The people in the city hung on for a while longer, but the end was inevitable. As the centuries continued, that was in like the 6th and 7th, we're going to read a little bit further down here, in the 15th century. As the centuries continued, Ephesus was never, be, was never able to regain its glory. It rallied for a little in the 14th, but by the end of the 15th century, it was abandoned. Why? The river Chiastros, it was built on the estuary, was continued to bring silt and debris in the once proud and prosperous port city of Ephesus was no longer proud, it was no longer prosperous, and it was no longer a port city. The port had moved. The beach had extended itself. The silt filled the harbor and the coastline changed. Since goods were no longer able to be brought into the city, the ships brought the goods elsewhere, such as in Constantinople, known as Istanbul today. Remember, God told the church if they didn't repent, he would remove their candlestick or their testimony, their influence. Today at the site of Ephesus, there are no modern cities. There is nothing there, even to this day. 2022, nothing. During the pandemic, nothing. Before the pandemic, still nothing. Their testimony had been extinguished. It is the site of great archaeological excavations and a huge desire to return to the old days. Ephesus no longer exists. It was destroyed. They're no longer an influence. Their candlestick has been removed. Apparently they did not repent. They did not come back to their first love. When God says it, he means it. But he gave them an option. He told them, if you'll repent, I will not do this. Yeah. They're no longer even in existence, so apparently they didn't repent. God keeps his word. What's he told us? What has he told us? Not us personally, but yeah, us personally. But what's he told the world as a whole? Repent. For the day judgment is coming. I started off by talking about Turkey and Syria preparing for war. 
I'm Indy with the comment. Wars and rumors of wars, the beginning of the days of sorrows. We need to be heedful of what's happening. Next week, we will take up with the second church, which is a very interesting study in its own right. It'll be a little shorter because, well, we find out some good things about that church of Smyrna. But that's for next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer in closing. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to study and to heed your word. Lord, we ask that you'll continue to open up our eyes of understanding. Lord, that you'll help us, Lord, to understand what you are trying to get us to see. Lord, that you'll touch and move. Lord, that you'll draw us each and every one closer. And Lord, if anyone that is here or is watching or will watch, that does not know you. It is, Lord, the desire of all present that they become a child of yours. Lord, with your spirit, draw them, Lord. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen.